Hello and welcome to this IBR Extra, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report. Presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. We are well aware of the large number of help wanted signs in all aspects of business, from restaurants to manufacturers and everything in between. But one Iowa authority on wellness and human behavior points to data showing that gap between open jobs and people to fill them is based on far more than the pandemic. In the 108th edition of our program, which aired during the third weekend of January 2022, we discussed the matter in depth with Peter Komandowski, President and Executive Director of the Partnership for a Healthy Iowa, and a return guest to our program. Everywhere we turn, we see help wanted signs. And yet we also hear numbers of people who are not employed. And at one level, we think, well, you have jobs, you have people who want jobs, why can't they just made up? It is not in any way as easy as that. And to some degree, we're, we're a victim of our own success in this. Yeah, you know, when we look at those issues, you start realizing that you have to Look at what the truth is. What are we seeing? And and we can't just create a mystique about people not coming to work. They're making choices. But just like people that make choices to maybe drink too much or smoke too much or eat too much, not working too much might be another choice that's being made. Where you know We talk about obesity. We talk about addiction. We talk about health like blood sugar and, and high blood pressure and cancers. But sometimes we don't talk about the more humanistic sides that affect humans. So when we see a symptom, so it's not really the illness is not people going to work. It's a symptom of something. So like anything else, when you see an illness, people want to give you a pill for that illness. Oh, you have a headache, take an aspirin. But what's causing the headache? So people like to throw aspirin, and and that's valid. I mean, sometimes an aspirin cures a headache, but it doesn't cure the cause of the headache. So when we dig down into the cause of people not working, it's not because they're not working because something is helping them make a choice, whether consciously or unconsciously, to not get up off their butt and do this. Well, again, if I have some sort of a pain, I can take a pain reliever, the pain goes away, but the source of the pain does not. But I have a socially acceptable way of dealing with it, quote unquote, I'll take the the pain reliever. And if I'm obese, Well, I've made the choice because I like food or there are other things. I could take a pill for cholesterol that allows me to still overeat. But when we are talking about someone not working, we typically say, well, you have to work because how else are you earning a living? It's a very nuanced and layered approach in this era, perhaps, as opposed to two generations ago. Well, yeah, and very stigmatized. I just made a comment before that I hope got people a little bit mad. I said they need to get up off their butt and go to work. But so we used to say that about people that were addicted. They need to stop doing this. So we may want to look at the fact that there may be sort of an underlying illness in our society that lessening the unemployment benefits, that throwing more free money at people is not going to cure. We may be looking at a malaise that goes deeper. And here's what's fascinating. One of the things we looked at, it, and as the partnership, we remember 15 years before there was an opioid epidemic, we were out there screaming, there's an opioid epidemic coming. And it was like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And lo and behold, now they think we're great experts, but it didn't help a lot of people. 
in that 10 or 15 years it took to get people activated. Well, here I am. The sky is falling again. Since 2012, before the pandemic, we've seen a gradual drop in the United States of kids enrolling in junior colleges and colleges. Now, Iowa has seen that too. It's been 6.6% reduction in the last year of college enrollment since two years ago. We have over 2 million less kids in college than we had on the average. Junior colleges are down almost 11 or 11 to 13 percent, depending on who you talk to. And even Iowa junior colleges are seeing reductions of 6 to 13 percent. And everybody's saying, oh, it's COVID, it's COVID, it's COVID. But these trends started in 2010 and 12 when they were first tracking them. Interestingly enough, they also correlate, and I say correlate, though some research is flushing out a cause, correlate with the increased use of media and social media. Even things like gaming, computer gaming, and playing those games on your cell phone. So we're seeing this correlation, just like with the opiate epidemic. You know, oh, people are dying from opiate overdoses, and the pharmaceutical companies are saying, well, that's just a correlation. It's not scientific. Well, 10 years later, we had the data and a lot of bodies stacked up. Well, I'm saying that 10 years later, since we've seen this huge proliferation in social media use with a lot of mixed information, fake media, people don't even know what the truth is anymore. Sometimes they're being fed on dreams that are greater than reality can allow. Like, you can be the president of a company or an astronaut. You know, well, you can, but... You do have to do things like go to school. So we look at these correlations. We say, well, what's, what's the outcome? If we have a problem that's been festering for 10 years, where do we look for the solutions? Some of them are short-term, like putting a forest fire out. You can't let it burn while you figure out why was it caused. So we praise anybody trying to do something. We don't know what's going to specifically work. But then we can't forget that at the heart of this are people that we know are not happy being nonproductive, that we know are not happy, not feeling like they're contributing to something, including their own well-being. And yet, somehow, whatever lifestyle issues have happened, like has caused obesity or an increase in, in blood sugars and diabetes and things like that, something's happened in the behavioral sort of patterns of humans that makes them less inspired to want to work, especially including the work of going to college, going to community college, of upper middle class and middle class white kids getting jobs to work instead of staying home and not working. I mean, we're seeing these are very disturbing trends. With regard to just the college and community college numbers, having taught at the college level for 25 years, there was an evolution during that time of many more people because of cost getting more of their credits, perhaps a full associate's degree at the community college, then coming to the four-year. So you could, at that point, say, well, they're still in the system. They're just on their way to get here to a four-year. Well, now... You've got drops in both, especially with the community college, because that's where so many of the skilled trade programs are. So this now has become something you can't just write off as, well, it's a different method. It's across the board, and that is for this whole generation coming up, who, by the way, are influenced by the solitude that COVID has brought to us. And potentially, then, I would guess, leads them to dive deeper into their phones. It does. And, and even things like gap years, a lot of people hope that, well, they'll just take a gap year because of COVID or take a little break. We're only finding only 2% of the kids re-enroll or go to college after a gap year. And then we start looking at other things, like what did colleges provide, an area of specialization, a chance for the brain to innovate, to think about some sometimes really obtuse topics, you know, like astrogeology or something, you know, that might have gotten people to the moon or Mars. But now we're, we're sort of force-feeding STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, to a much younger population. And I wonder sometimes, are we draining some of the mystique 
of what they might do in college. You know, we see so many people now, you know, how, oh, I have to fix, I have to learn how to fix that. I'll check YouTube. Instead of hiring a carpenter or a plumber or somebody, going to YouTube first, where everybody's trying to be a jack of all trades. You know, have we created an environment where kids think they can push some buttons and get all the knowledge they need? Why should I do homework and go to class and, and live in a dorm? You know, the world is my oyster. I have all this stuff. And, and there's a huge breakdown between what human beings can accomplish face-to-face and what teaching can do to empower children to dream and to build and what happens when all of your energy is funneled into a computer screen and buttons. I have often said, and I think it's true, at the time, because of this technology, that we have the greatest potential for more information to get to people. Instead, we're actually less well-informed because there's no moderation. In other words, when you're in a classroom, there's a curriculum. And so the information is moderated in that way. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just simply saying that it is presented with someone at the helm who should know something about it. I don't have to go outside my comfort zone when I go to the computer. And so, therefore, I'm less informed, which leads to incorrect impressions, which just feeds even deeper into this psyche that you're describing. Yeah, we've seen writers historically, even as many years as 50 or 60 years ago, say things like the mark of a great civilization is not the technology, but the people, how they innovate, how they think, what they bring to the table with that technology. Now a lot of the technology is technology for the sake of technology. For me to send messages to you or play a game or buy something, we're saying it's not, it's not feeding the inner human. It's not stimulating the curiosity like being in a college class or being in a junior college class or even being in a high school class anymore. I mean, we're seeing a problem with education in the sense that we've placed so much emphasis on how we're teaching the kids and what we're teaching the kids. Boy, it seems like we've forgotten who the teachers are. They're, they're hardly ever in a dialogue. Now we, we want to get all the kids back in school. Oh, my God, what's our stumbling block? We didn't really think about keeping the teachers healthy. After the fact, we realize it's a problem. And, and so this is like, what are we losing? What are we going to think about and say, what, what did we miss? And you know what? It's going to show up because this is a really new thing. 2010, 2012, we're looking at 20 years of looking at trends, just like the opioid epidemic or obesity or anything we've seen evolve. We can always go back a little bit too far back, 10 or 20 years, and go, boy, that's sort of where we began if we only could have done something. And so we have the parallels. We could do something now, but that, of course, leads us to two things that come to mind. One is make the connection as clearly as possible between this lack of motivation, I'll call it that, to go to higher education, skilled trades, the liberal arts education, anything beyond what we have deemed in society is the minimum of high school, and how that then connects to the use of screens. What is it that can therefore be turned around? Is it the screen usage that's leading to this lack of motivation, or is it something that's broader with this generation that you're issuing a warning flag about because it looks too much like something you battled before. We can go back to Aristotle and they talk about the younger generations having <laughs> less motivation, yes. less this. You know, in fact, when we were kids, we are as humans, we naturally look for the easy way out. Sure. You want to do less chores. You want to do the dishes faster. We all want to take a path of least resistance. And that makes us generally innovative. But when we look at the tools that we employ to do that, that if they actually help us get things done, they're valuable tools. But if they create this sort of environment of avoidance, 
or mañana. I can do it tomorrow. It's mm-hmm. not an issue. It's not important. I don't want to do my homework. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like getting out of bed today. What we see is this sort of malaise called mental health, which is really, when you think about it today in the media, they talk about mental health more than ever before. It wasn't an issue. You couldn't get on the phone and say, oh, I'm feeling really down today. That was, that was not apropos. You know, I'm feeling great. Everything's wonderful. Now people can talk about how bad they feel, how down they feel, how the media is making them feel so insecure about politics and about money and about this. And, and it's interesting is, you know, educators, they came up earlier, and I, I so believe in educators like public safety, all the professionals that really engender the values of our culture that protect people. You know, schools have evolved. They're, they're, they have social-emotional learning programs. They're taking on the burden of the things the kids are facing. And actually, they're moving forward with things by dealing with social-emotional learning, more so than the rest of society, more so than, I'll say, the political gerrymandering to try and create economic incentives, uh, more than parents who are, are probably just really intimidated by all of the things going on in their kids' lives, and they mean well, but they don't know what to do. But I, I do see looking at school systems, you know, there are schools criticized for taking student resource officers out, but many of them are adding counselors because what they see is a shift that we, we it's hard to deal with the problems with the criminal nature of kids' actions when we have such a huge burden of mental health issues that we need to manage, and they have limited resources. And so I'm, I would say that the correlation between a workforce and mental health is a big one. And I say that's how we sort of look back 10 or 15 years and say these things catch up to us. They don't just appear out of thin air. So if we're looking at actually dealing with the cause, because, again, if lack of motivation, my phrase, but I think it's fair as a broad stroke, if lack of motivation is the problem, well, then you stop providing incentives that feed into it. But if we're really getting, and that to me is the aspirin for a headache, but if we want to get at the cause of the headache, if we want to get at the cause of this issue, what do we do once we're aware of it? What are some things that can actually be done? Or are we just not to that point because not, there's not enough critical mass of people agreeing that it is an issue of concern? You know, we work with research scientists in the psych department at Iowa State University. Some people are bringing young people in Singapore, all over the world, looking primarily at how this world is evolving to embrace children. And one thing that we forget sometimes is that the problems we face today, especially the ones related to technology, are only 10 to 20 years old. And the younger generations of children are growing up in an environment where they're looking at their older brothers and sisters, their siblings, their parents, and they're looking at them critically going, boy, they're really looking at that cell phone a lot, you know. It's like growing up in a household with alcoholics or smokers. You develop a sort of important sort of skepticism and caution about this. Now, it still affects you in a negative way, and it's still risky for you. But I noticed that when I went back into schools for the first time and and worked with 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in the classroom talking about digital literacy and wellness and and tech – I found that amongst the fifth and sixth graders, because they were the least indoctrinated in media and video games and they had older brothers and sisters and parents that were constantly looking at screens, they were so excited to be back in the classroom with kids. And they were so comfortable talking about, you know, it's a weird world. They got all the media they wanted and they didn't want it. But their older brothers and sisters couldn't stop. Now, that could be the difference between, uh, you know, behavioral addiction and that cognizance that there's a problem here. If it's generational, we have hope. Because the younger kids are now growing up sensing there's something wrong with this picture. And we know schools are responding. They're face-to-face, and they're dealing with social and emotional learning and these sort of conflicts the kids face growing up and teaching literacy and wellness when it comes to that. But I'm not saying that they're adept at it because it's, this is all a new science. There are a lot of really good ideas there, but even 
the greatest idea presented to me or you, if we're not cognizant of it really well, we can't trust it. So it takes time. They got it. And the eighth graders, not so much. And the high school kids, very little. So we see this, this indoctrination generationally also correlates with the reduction of kids going to college and junior college. And one of the symptoms of all this could easily be workforce problems associated with people that we just can't understand why they're not going to work. Because when you're dealing with an illness as a disease, and that illness manifests itself, and we'll call it mental health, in the inability to make a decision, maybe some insecurity, tension, fear of the unknown, it's probably hard to take a job just for taking a job. It's probably difficult to make a choice amongst the lesser of evils if they haven't been grown up in an environment where they had the motivation of this sort of buildup going through middle school, high school, junior college, and then college and a job. You know, we look at the numbers. The difference between a high school grad and a college graduate in terms of income potential, this is from a Georgetown University study, is almost double from 2.2 million to 4.1 million worth $2 million for you to go to college, four years investment. For a lifetime earning. A lifetime earning potential, absolutely. And if you had a master's on that, it's even more. Mm-hmm. If you had a doctorate, even more. Now I'm saying that everybody should have a doctorate to be great. But this aspiration to get a, a, a bachelor's degree, it's not the tuition you're paying. It's not the work and the homework or the other things. Amongst all the other social things that are great about going to college, for those of us that had that opportunity, you're going to get ultimately paid $2 million, either in cash or in choices. You may go to college and decide you want to serve people and work for an excellent volunteer time. That's okay. But the number across the board is almost double the lifetime earnings just for a college degree. Now, if you tell me you're going to give me $2 million to go to college for four years, give me a $2 million, baby. I'm in. <laughs> but then you're going to tell me, well, I'm going to pay it out for you over the next 50 years. Well, you know, I still think it's a pretty good idea. How come, how come people aren't getting this? So I'm saying that what short circuits the college enrollment and junior college enrollment that started in the, around 2000 and 2012 started to peak and grow until now, I think that has something to do with our workforce problem too because it's the same kind of motivation that drives somebody to achieve goals. Whether it's work-related, financially, it's perfectly okay for a kid to choose a career instead of going to college. If you decide you want to be a welder, you want to be a mechanic, there's a million great things you could do. Or, or get a two-year degree instead of a four or a four instead of six and so forth. Nothing is wrong with that. But that means you had a plan. People not working today don't have that plan. And unfortunately, COVID sort of became this wicked triple point where not only did we feel a sense of desperation when people were hurting, the people that weren't hurting were able to profit from not doing anything. Everybody got the incentives. There was no sorting. There was no, does somebody need help? Do we need training? It was just, let's give people money and this will be the ultimate medicine, like the aspirin for the headache. And you know what? If the underlying cause of that headache is a tumor... The aspirin's not going to help you at all in the long run. And the problem with workforce today may very well be that tumor that we need to really cure and move forward, not just throw aspirin at it. Parents, I think, have often abdicated their role in influencing their children's future. You know, they, they don't necessarily want to tell them to go to church on Sunday. They don't want to force them to go to college. They want to give them all the freedoms. But there's a difference between forcing somebody and giving them guidance. There's a difference between helping someone have aspirations and hopes that are important to you. I mean, they're your children. And thinking that somehow if you do nothing, they're going to find the same path you found. So I think more engagement on these issues and a recognition that, we're, that we've got an important lessons today. COVID's taught us something, taught us many things, but not the least of which with the problems we're seeing accelerated 
the problems we've had to the point where we have to deal with them now. And when it really comes down to solving problems amongst people, it often is with people face-to-face, talking to your kids, talking to your teachers, talking to your, your elected officials. If you feel something, don't push a button, don't blog it, don't Facebook it. Connect with a human being. So if technology connects you with people, fantastic. But if it takes you off into that abyss of just pushing buttons and looking at screens, we need to be careful because that's sort of what got us here. It's a great tool. I talk about it. It's like a hammer. Hammer can build a house or I can hit you in the head with it. Not so benevolent. Let's build houses with this technology. Let's take people to the moon. Let's give kids dreams to be astronauts or anything else. Let's not shatter those dreams by stuffing them in this abyss of disassociated sort of traveling through this virtual space whose only interest is to capture their eyes, attention, and whatever money they can get out of their lives to keep their businesses alive. Put things in proper perspective, and in that perspective, we're going to need the help of teachers, parents, and fortunately, kids growing up today, the younger children are seeing it. They're going to be our best proponents for changing the future because they want a better world. They can look up and see that this isn't exactly what they were looking for. They want something better. Peter Komandowski, President and Executive Director of the Partnership for a Healthy Iowa, online at ahealthyiowa.org. We spoke on Tuesday, January 18th. The Iowa Business Report, radio program and podcast, is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. More at AdvanceIowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. IowaBusinessCouncil.org. The Iowa Business Report airs on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa with podcasts posted right here, along with additional IBR extras and IBR business profiles. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.